Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Claudia Shamba. I'm your host on Ask a Leader. And today I want to welcome everybody on their mid-spring break, those of you that are and those of you that aren't. Welcome to this show, Ask a Leader, and the views expressed on this show are not necessarily those those of the California Board of Regents or the KUCI management. Well, we talked about Noru's last week. And what a treat to um, bring us all up to speed on some of the cultural fair. I also um, hope that my um, friends who hadn't been appraised of that before are well on board now because Noruz is continuing until the, for the next, um, there's another seven to ten more days. Today, um, we were hoping for a little coverage on the, the board here so that I could get calls in. But we may not necessarily have that possibility. Uh, if, if we have Sheldon Abbott arrive later on, we will definitely have calls in, and I will let you know when that comes up. Meanwhile, um, I want to um, cue you in today. My guests are L.A. Times feature writer and garbage maven Susan Carpenter. In the second half of the show, we'll hear from physician assistant Beth Mulligan. And she's with the Susan Samueli Center for Integrative Medicine at UCI to talk about mindfulness-based stress reduction. And uh, who can't do with a, a good helping of that when we're calling San Onofre facility and we want them to talk to us on this show and no one's talking. No one there's talking to the press. The websites I was hoping to get didn't arrive. So anyway, we'll see how we can work out bringing stress down the second half. Today, as I was saying, we are treated to a special host group of guests today. My first guest is Susan Carpenter, feature writer with the LA Times and Garbage Maven, whose recent chronicles really do resonate with yours truly. She posts us on evolving weekly installments about what the municipalities in the LA area are doing with recyclable material and telling what what they're doing with non-recyclable material. She's also a pirate radio veteran broadcasting out of her own Silver Lake home at that point, all of 40 watts and uh, now she's going to lead us through what we can do with that waste, and we're going to reduce it in this first half an hour. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're here with us this morning. Well, there are two things going on here, as I was alluding, reducing what is in the waste stream and then repurposing and recycling. Can we talk about the difference between repurposing and recycling? And does the former involve less processing and less waste than recycling? 
Yeah, it involves a lot less energy use, first of all. Yes. Um, but it depends on if you want what you are, quote-unquote, upcycling. Okay. And you know, that's really what you're talking about when you're talking about repurposing waste. Good. My preference, really, is just to reduce it or reject it in the first place so it doesn't even get to you. Like what you um, buy, how things are wrapped and packaged, or that you buy anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the kickoff to this whole series, the Garbage Maven series, it started in January. And the way that I started it was um, just keeping everything that I would normally throw in the trash in the recycling bin for a month and letting it pile up in my kitchen. And then I weighed everything to see what were my biggest sources of waste. And ironically, because I work at the newspaper, my ah. biggest um, producer of waste inside my house was newspapers. That was 35 pounds out of the roughly 50 pounds of um, recyclables that I had collected. So I've since switched to an electronic subscription to my own paper just to cut that piece out because a lot of times, because most of the most of the recycling systems in place around the country are single stream, that means everything that can be recycled is thrown into the same bin and some people aren't going to be as careful as others. So if you have a lot of people who are throwing waste into the recycling bin along with that paper, sometimes that paper won't be recycled. So that was, there's a lot of issues here, but that is the biggest single change that I've made so far just in terms of reducing, but I still wanted to support my, I still want to support newspapering, I want to support my employer, so I switched to an electronic subscription, which has actually taken some getting used to when you're used to walking out to your doorstep, picking up the paper, flipping through the hard pages, but... Um, the other part of it is that there's so many layers of the plastic around the paper. That's right. I that's right. I want to cut that out as well because I, I literally had about 100 bags just from a four-day-a-week subscription. Wow. Yeah. That's from one paper. Two and sometimes three bags. Right. Right. It's a lot. There are different bins that are taking in from my household, too, a mea culpa. And I, I still haven't been able to make that um, major shift away from that uh, printed page, but you've ma- you, how many uh, weeks or months did it take you to, to transition, if you have completely, to the electronic media? Well, I did that uh, in the beginning of February. Okay. But the thing is, they wouldn't let me switch. <laughs> it's still coming. It was, it was kind of funny to call the subscription service for my own employer and find <laughs> out how difficult it was to actually stop the print product from coming to my doorstep. Um, but I did, and it it takes longer to read in the electronic version for some reason. I don't know. I understand. It, it's an interesting it's an interesting exercise. So upcycling, can you yeah fill in all the blanks so we're uh, our literacy will go sky high today with that all important concept. Yeah, upcycling is taking something that is normally waste, and it could either be put into the recycling bin or just the trash, and you're turning it into something that has more value. And an example that will actually tie into the piece that's running this coming Saturday is wine corks, because almost nowhere accepts wine corks Okay. Uh, in terms of uh, taking them back and repurposing them. But a lot of people will take cork, and they will make their own... Uh, art projects and or cork boards. I have a cork board. It's working beautifully. Yeah, so that's a perfect example of upcycling. You're taking something out of the waste stream and you're making it into something else that you can use. So you're adding value to something that would normally be a waste product. Another example is 
um, clothing at Goodwill. There are a bunch of people who take old clothes and turn them into, they'll, they'll cut apart T-shirts. I even know of a place that takes old motorcycle jackets and they'll repurpose them into high-end purses. So they'll take stuff that is a cast-off, basically, and turn it into something that is a, another product so you're extending its life. I think I think a friend of mine takes the wool, and she is upcycling that into. Uh, she's recarding it. She's reprocessing it, and she's working on uh, putting together wool beads and that kind of a thing. So I, mm. I'm so. Um, but I, I monitor. So the as far as the court goes, we're moving out of the thrift store back to the wine shop. The shop <laughs> that. Um, so there isn't a receptacle. It's either we do that in house, uh, upcycle corks. There's no other place to send it on. Well, you can read all about it, and oh, thanks good. to you, Irvine is going to be included in my Can I Recycle feature beginning this Saturday. Oh, well done. Um, yeah, the only city that takes them back through the city curbside program is Santa Monica, and it isn't through their recycling bin, it's through their green bin. They are going to begin composting natural cork. But um, it's few and far between. TerraCycle has something called the Cork Brigade, but you have to be a nonprofit to sign up and start collecting cork and sending it in, and then I don't know what it is that they repurpose it into. There's an organization called ReCork, but you have to have 15 pounds of cork, and uh, cork, as you know, is a very lightweight material. Right, so that'll take a while. Mm-hmm. A lush, basically, <laughs> to, to be having enough wine corks to get involved in their program and send it back. Well, I but haven't... There are Go ahead. Oh, no, excuse me. I, I have been stockpiling my corks because I'm just waiting for that. Because you were saying you were accounting for how much uh, waste you were accumulating. And I, I, I'm not trying to do it for auditing purposes. I'm doing because I'm holding out for a use for that to come along and I can say, all right, all of this is good now. But um, but there's nowhere to the cork. I'm not going to get to 15 pounds no matter how lushed out I want to get. So. Well, it's tough. I mean, the the funny thing is, is that I, through this organization called ReCork, they had told me that Gelson's was a partner. And I called two Gelson's and I went to two Gelson's, and they actually do not have the cork bins that I've seen elsewhere in the country. Um, I Where in the country, Susan? Foods. They Where? didn't have uh, an official program, but the guy that runs the wine department, he actually takes cork back from people and he sends it in to recork himself. But that's not anything you would know about unless you actually walked in and talked to a live human being on the ground. Trader Joe's I walked into. They don't have a formal cork recycling program, but when I brought it up with one of the clerks there, he said, how much do you got? My, my girlfriend makes cork boards. So I think there, if you're, if you're, more adventurous and resourceful. You can find people who will take it. So you don't actually have to use one of these sort of formalized programs because there are enough people who are who are also concerned if you go to the right places is, is what I found out. All right. So we're going to get in touch with our inner uh, eccentric, and some of them are more <laughs> outers for others, and we're going to approach every single merchant out there who's dealing in these commodities that have the waste and um, then uh, see whether they have some means for um, re- upcycling, repurposing, recycling those materials that we don't know what to do about. Yeah, that's that's one solution. So uh, you said with certain items. Yeah. So Whole Foods does have a a person. Is it a particular store? Have you gone to more than one Whole Foods that would? Co- I went ex- to one in Pasadena. I sort of restricted all my research to the Pasadena area. 
That yeah. might, I think Sandra Singlow said that might be the flagship Whole Foods. I remember from a extensive a series of hers. So that may be uh, <laughs> the home office for um, a very large, uh, w- with a larger prospect and a potential for that. Well, that's that. Um, it behooves us then to uh, ask forward, ask onward with um, what what we can do with the the commodities that we're um, we're ransacking here. Um, that's racking up here. I've got phones ringing all over the place around here. Um, so uh, when you started, now past your own uh, household auditing, you um, you started thinking about everything in your home. What were you going to do with it when you were done with it? And I um, I know this is an evolving uh, chronicle that you keep with the L.A. Times. Um, so you, I was fascinated by your taking apart the toothbrush. Well, I didn't take apart the toothbrush. You well, can't really take it apart. But I mean, but, in terms of what 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 elements of the toothbrush can go onward? Well, you have to. It has to be the whole thing, and unfortunately, there's only one place where you can do that, and you have to like this company's product, which is Preserve. And I have to say that I think that they're pretty ingenious because they sell it in a mailer, basically. So when you buy that toothbrush. what's embedded in the price of that is the return postage to send it back to the company, and then they will grind it all up as one product. So there's little bits of metal. um, There's resins in there in addition to the plastic and the rubbery plastic, and that all gets ground up as one single commodity, and it's sold to a company that makes plastic lumber. Plastic but lumber. it's not it's not disassembled. It's not cost effective to disassemble. Okay, okay. I want to uh, for those listeners that have just tuned in, we're talking to Garbage Maven, feature writer uh, of the LA Times, Susan Carpenter. You're on listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming live on KUCI.org. Well, uh, the toothbrush you tackled. Um, go ahead. What are some of your favorite products that you found? Um, were going to be uh, sent on to newer and better purposes? I, well, you know what? It's funny that you're asking me that question because I have a coffee shop that I like to go to with my, of course, recyclable coffee mug that's right around the corner from the Times building. And um, I've been looking for a place to hold my recyclables, and they actually sell used burlap bags for 50 cents. So that's my favorite reuse of that and I'm going to be using that because I want to actually start diverting some of my paper out of the single stream system because I have a hunch that it's actually not being recycled but it's um, getting all gooey <laughs> with the people's food waste that's thrown into the recycling stream. Uh, another thing is pasta jars. I'm about to... I've started investigating bulk food shopping and bulk bins. I'm just trying to eradicate eradicate plastic from my life. So I have a bunch of used pasta jars. Instead of putting that in the recycling bin, I'm going to start repurposing the whole lentils and dried garbanzo beans and things like that. So that's where I currently stand. And then there are certain things that you just can't reuse, such as a tuna can tan. Like, I, I, I wouldn't know what to do with that. A witch can? A tuna. Oh, tuna, tuna can. No, yeah. What did I say? Did I even pronounce that correctly? A tuna tin can. That's it. That's but it. But that's nothing that you could reuse, so that has to go in the, re- in the recycling bin. But I just, I think this whole exercise, and granted, I'm pretty early on in the whole process. It's only been a couple months. Is it's just leading me to become a more careful shopper. 
and um, consumer, too, once it's come in. I just want to say, well, I can't yeah. resist, Susan, while we're dealing with that pasta product. And let's say we happen to buy it, not in a jar, but a package. I have to say for my listeners and uh, for, uh, for eventual, maybe later, Chronicle, I take those plastic wraps. This My children will just absolutely be abhorring my um, personalizing mm-hmm. this. I, I interviewed that I take all of those plastic wraps I can use those again instead of pulling off a square on my plastic roll of saran wrap. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the, zip, the Ziploc bags, I can't tell you how many times I reuse those. If, uh, you know, if it's been a reasonably dry or a clean kind of um, item that was uh, previously holding, I just use those. over. I throw them in my washing machine in the, you know, in the, the uh, sturdier cycles and, um, you know, inside out, and I hang them up and dry them, and I use those Ziplocs over and over again. Good for you. I just think that we are so accustomed to single-use plastic. We have to change that. So, so the jars. Now, we're not able to get as much bulk for you, I've noticed, as we want. There are just some things that, um, that just aren't going to come in that. And sometimes I just, you mentioned Trader Joe's, and some of us are frustrated oh. with how much packaging many of their uh, lesser processed things are. Um, it's you know, everywhere. It's everywhere. It's almost unavoidable. It's almost like a, a this master scheme to make you bring a bunch of stuff into your house. I mean, I've gone to Sprouts. I've gone to Trader Joe's, traditional stores, Vons, Fresh and Easy. It's all so packaged. Yes, it's, yes. It's really difficult. That's what's leading me to the, to the bulk bins. And then... Um, so there are two things that are springing from that exercise, and one is realizing that to avoid packaging, I need to be doing a lot more home cooking. So that's one thing, and I'm going to be starting a whole series in our food blog here at the Times called The Homesteading Cook that is about uh, that exercise. And Good. And a point. Good. Something. It is. That's right. The yeah. way to pare down is to start fresh. And so mm-hmm. that takes more time. Yeah. That, but, that, but that follows along with some of the some food policy issues that I've talked with um, with Mark Winnie, a food activist, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, that this, this would be consistent with that. It's just that we're not sure where people who have been holding it together with their schedule are going to create more time to do that. But these things, take this taking this step, you're accomplishing a great deal, folks. So, um, and if you can do it with company, you know, if somehow you can manage to do this, delegating and preparing together, you're going to be paring down and living up uh, and recycling up. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to see whether in your garbage maven work that you've explored a concept. I'm just I'm going to think of it in terms of we talk about the tipping point with other resources, with natural resources. But is there a tipping point, Susan Carpenter, when we're talking about landfill capacity? I do not know the answer to that question yet. That might be a chronicle that we're talking about because they, these don't have uh, infinite capacity. They they top off. That mountain is sufficiently filled up and out, and then then you know reciting brand new landfills is not easily done with mm-hmm. increasing uh, real property values. So I I just was putting out that idea that I, I broadside you that. Sorry about that. But um, it might be no, something right. for listeners to think about and for uh, for re- esteemed reporters to think about, you know, letting folks know it's not just about it leaving your home, but it's got to end up somewhere. And are we are we going to commit to more expenditures of energy to move it a, further where it can be landfilled if it can't be landfilled within a, 
a short distance of where we live. Yeah, I sort of come at it from, you know, all this talk about carbon dioxide emissions, global warming, and you just think of, okay, you have a product, it is trucked to the store, it is carred to your house, it is put in the bin that is trucked to a sorting facility, the sorting facility trucks it somewhere else. You know, that is just a lot, it's, it's heavy, and fuel prices are going up, and they're, eh, all of it is just sort of a mess. So just try to reduce it. Now, um, you were talking about, you talked about the toothbrush. Last week it was about the dry cleaning. That yeah. I, I, I think it's important for us to think about every single element. There, there's the, the paper that's um, sort of hooded over the, the garment. There's the hand, there's the hanger, and there's the plastic wrap around that. I think you've managed to find a purpose for everything. A, recycl- well, a, a recycling receptor for everything. Well, yeah, it seems like most curbside city recycling programs take all of those things, but this is a perfect situation where a reduce enters into the equation. Instead of throwing the hangers into the recycling bin, even though almost all cities take those, take them back so that they can be reused because just the energy involved in, you know, melting those down and making them into other things is just um, a lot when it's it doesn't, it doesn't get damaged mostly at the hanger. It's you pretty. Know, it can be reused over and over and over again. Exactly. The plastic, you can ask your dry cleaner not to put it around, but I think that is, is challenging. I don't really use dry cleaners. But um, that's, uh, I think, what was the number that I heard? I don't want to misquote the, the figure, but it's... It's an astounding amount of dry cleaner plastic that ends up in U.S. landfills. I think it's something like 30 million tons. Oh, boy. Which is obscene. That's obscenity is a good that start. all you're doing is trying to protect your clothes in case there's rain or something so that you get them to your house and you can hang them up properly. It's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of ridiculous. I um, just signed up with a particular merchant. They're called Kona Cleaners. Don't mind plugging, I guess, these things. They they have a very environmentally benign method of blasting um, clothes clean without using any chemicals. And the, there's, their whole business model is they pick up in the bag and return in the plastic bag. So I guess, but I do, I send everything back in the bag that picks up the laundry. So um, that the, the stream is pretty tight that way, but uh, it's... Uh, otherwise, I think when we do leave the actual store, the clean the 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 business, that let's maybe we could think about ask. Well, well, I guess we could just take the plastic off before we leave the store. That's what I do. Okay. Well, there you go. The, the few occasions I do that per year, but there's also something called the green garmento bag, which also, which serves as the bag that you carry the clothes to the dry cleaner in that converts into a bag that you can carry them out on a hanger inside that same bag. Oh, are you going to put that? Now, was that in? I don't remember. That, that was, was in there. In there. Okay. In there. And there are, some, there are some dry cleaners that have already instituted that on the whole shop basis. So that's how they're packaging it. And then the um, the customer would pay like a fee, like a down, like a down payment okay. or whatever it is, like a, what is that called? A security fee? So that you're not walking off of the bat, you know, so right, you're, right. you're sort of in a the deposit. system where it's a deposit, that's what it is. So then you'd be bringing the bag back over and over again. And some, some cleaners use that. And other cleaners, I would just cancel, but if you're interested in something like that, consult with your cleaner first to see if they would do that. Because I think it's rote for the people who work 
in places like that if they oh, are yes. not already inclined to be diminishing the waste. And I think if we as if we as consumers increasingly express the the interest and the will that we are uh, paring down all of this wrapping, you know, I think we can continue to make inroads. Just keep doing that. I mean, I remember feeling a little derision when I would decline a bag decades ago, and they'd get this, you know, dry laugh for this whatever um, person about change, you know, saving the planet. I go, well, you know, it'll it's going to catch on someday. Just you watch. <laughs> and so I noticed that increasingly, I there's less derision over these years and more respect about doing that. So I think we just keep chipping away, Ask a Leader listeners, uh, and join Susan Carpenter and not only following her chronicle, but trying out your own um, sort of uh, area of interest in, in minimizing the waste stream. And uh, that way, you, um, you know, we can all make some kind of an impact. Well, I, I, I just wanted to, before we close out this interview, I just wanted to mention that um, I'm concerned lots and lots of organizations, schools and all that love to collect lots of plastic bottles so they can raise money with those deposits so they can uh, put it, money back into their library or something. So I, I'm just trying to figure out how we can get ahead of that ingraining in uh, young students' minds that it's good to use lots of plastic bottles because we can help our library out with this. Do you have any any thought about that, Susan? <laughs> well, I think you need to talk to, when you're talking about Ask a Leader, I think this is a perfect situation where you should ask the principal of the school or the teachers inside the school to promote the re- their use of stainless steel bottles. And if you can institutionalize it in a single classroom or school-wide, you know, there are other ways that money can be raised. And ultimately, that doesn't raise a whole heck of a lot of cash for a school. And there are other, um, I don't know, there are, there are other ways. I mean, my son goes to an elementary school, and they, they do the, the the things on the box. The like, oh, I yes. don't know which brand it is. Kellogg's, perhaps. The General Mills. The, soup, the General Mills. Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, unfortunately, it's all tied into buying a product and the container is either thrown away or recycled, right? Right. Oh, <laughs> right. How do, you, how do you stop that? I think the drinking bottles is a good place to begin because that's easily resolved, and that is to try to encourage the teachers to encourage the families of the students to use a reusable drink bottle. Oh, and before I let you go, I just one more thing. Those the aseptic pack containers. Are you going to have you already addressed that? I missed if you have. What is that? The aseptic aseptic pack. pack. So it's those um, beverage containers or those soup boxes that oh, are, you, yes, you don't pack. need to refrigerate that milk or yeah. So I I've stopped I using those a long time ago. Even though my acupuncture said this is the almond drink for you, you better have this. And I thought well. Almond drink, schmalmond drink. I'm I'm racking up too many septic pack containers when I have that when I used to. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, is there any possible? It's just landfill, isn't it? There's no use for those. Mm, you know what? The well, LA is looking. They have a pilot program right now. They're studying those because it's a combination of plastic and foil and um, thick paper. Yeah, so it's, it's all pressed together. Huge. And there actually is a market for it because I think about 50% of the cities that I surveyed, they actually do recycle them, but they're, they're not separating out the materials. They're chopping them up and what that chopped up stuff is used for, I don't know. Okay. So probably 
some kind of paving or like you back to that picket fence you mentioned earlier with chopping the um, toothbrush down, one of those sorts of surfaces or sidings. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, good. Well, you've been very <laughs> generous with your time this morning. Uh, we went over a little bit. I hope that doesn't keep you away from a board meeting and uh, uh, our collecting uh, uh, new scoop. But we'll be watching uh, closely. In the, it's usually folks in the home section that comes out in the Thursday paper or always blogging there. on Saturday. With the L- oh, I meant it used to be Thursday. My goodness, I date myself. Yes, it's Saturday when I get to read Susan Carpenter. And um, we'll, uh, we'll support you from here and keep us posted on what we can do to to uh, be better little uh, constituents of this globe that gets shrinking on, on us. And um, thank you so much for being on the show this morning, Susan. Well, thanks for inviting me. It was a lot of fun. Stay tuned, all. Thanks a lot, Susan. Bye-bye. Well, we are glad that we could have Susan on our show this morning. I also wanted to mention that we had hoped we could have included today in our um, particular show, but she was not available, a um, Susan Frankel, who's written a very interesting book called Plastic, A Toxic Love Story. And you might have seen her op-ed piece in last Friday's New York Times. And we hope to have her on this show at a later date to help us rethink our consumption of plastic. So uh, if you missed the Friday op-ed piece in the New York Times, you can go back and look it up on the archive. And um, we hope that she'll be uh, free to uh, be back on on the show at a later date. Um, And I'm hoping, I'm looking forward to a little copy that she was going to send me. So... um, After a little musical interlude, we'll be talking next to Ms. Beth Mulligan, physician assistant with the Susan Samueli Integrative. for staying with us here on Ask a Leader this morning on our second portion of the show. We are very, very happy to have a physician assistant, Beth Mulligan. She has practiced uh, for 15 years in le- as a physician assistant and f- 10 more years in medical health care delivery. And she lectures widely on stress physiology and stress reduction. She currently teaches mindfulness courses at various locations throughout Southern California, where she trains physicians, nurses, therapists, and patients in these stress reduction techniques. We are so happy to have you on our show, Susan. Beth? Yes. Beth. I was just hung up on the uh, my previous guest name. I don't know why I would mix them up. Beth, thank you so much for being on Ask a Leader this morning. My you, pleasure. You bring such wisdom to how we can all scale down what's ramping up so insidiously in our everyday lives. I don't know where to start. Um, I know we're going to finish with making sure all of our listeners have ample opportunities to pursue this kind of, um, would you call it therapy? Um, I think that the method that I teach, which was developed by Dr. John Kabat-Zinn at the University of Massachusetts Medical Center about 30 years ago, they mainly describe it as an educational approach. 
Um, although we do feel, and the research shows that it is a clinical treatment for the long-term effects of stress, which can take a real toll on our bodies and our minds and our whole outlook on life. So it is therapeutic, but we don't consider it um, therapy as in group therapy. It's much more educational and a way of training ourselves to cope with the stresses of our lives more effectively. Yes, yes. And so you um, are... um very well um, trained in um, this. Well, I want to get into the um, the actual physiology of what stress does to our bodies. And I hope you can, in talking about this, that's such a general area, we're talking about um, particular sorts of target age groups where this starts, this gets ingrained uh, um, for successful um, use, um, target uh, groups uh, uh, at risk of, of stress um, really um, setting the person back? I'm try- um, I, I don't know where to start with this. There's so much to say in the time remaining in our show. Is there, is there a target age group that you, you really would ideally like to, to be uh, educating? Well, I, my personal experience is mainly with adults, but there is a huge um, movement to use mindfulness in education and Susan Kaiser Greenland has written a wonderful book called The Mindful Child and does a lot of work um, starting in Los Angeles and now over, all over the world working with children. So I think the earlier we can learn um, to recognize the signs that we are stressed and then develop some helpful coping techniques to deal with it, obviously, the better, because many times um, what we see in, in our adult students is they have many years of developing some unhealthy ways of coping with stress. So, for example, um, when we feel stressed, and when we use that word in the stress reduction field, we're not talking about sort of just a vague mental condition. You know, we use that term loosely a lot. My boss is stressing me out. The economy is stressful. And, of course, we're all experiencing stress in a very heartfelt way with the events in Japan and all over the world right now. When we talk about stress in the stress reduction field, we're really talking about a physiologic response that the body goes through. Yes. When the mind recognizes something as a threat, and that threat can be real or it can be imagined, which then sets off a whole hormonal cascade within the body to prepare us for what's called the fight-or-flight response. Cascade's a good word, then, to describe that kind of... uh, full-on effect on the system. Exactly. And once those hormones get going, um, it's preparing our body for a very intense physical reaction. That's how it was originally designed to help us deal with a short-term physical threat. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, our modern-day stressors are quite different, but the same pattern of hormones and physiologic responses still will get triggered so that the heart rate will go up blood pressure will go up, our respiration changes, and then other vital systems of the body will temporarily shut down in an effort to divert all the blood flow and energy resources to the large muscle group. So when we're stressed, we may experience a temporary shutdown of our gastrointestinal tract, for example, or our immune system. And what many people notice, too, is that they don't 
seem to think as clearly or problem-solve as well when they're stressed. And that's actually a physiologic change that's going on in your brain as a result of some of the stress hormones that are circulating. It's very interesting. Um, We're talking this morning on Ask a Leader to Beth Mulligan, physician assistant with the Susan Samueli Center for uh, Integrative Medicine and um, and on KUCI.org, 88.9 FM in Irvine. And um, this is very interesting. What the MRAs, MRIs are showing, how they indicate what how the brain processes are affected with the stress and how with mindfulness training that process is altered. Can you walk us through what the MRIs are teaching us? Well, there's a recent study that just came out of Mass General Hospital with some of the uh, researchers at Harvard, and what they were looking at, because we know already that mindfulness meditation is associated with a sense of peacefulness and physical relaxation, um, and they wanted to know, well, why is that happening? What's actually going on in the brain when people experience these things? So... uh, Several of the researchers there did MRI images during two weeks before and then after they took part in one of these eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction programs, and they did see some changes in parts of the brain that are responsible for memory and learning, like the hippocampus. They found increased gray matter density in that area, and they also found that there were some reductions in the parts of the brain, like the amygdala, which is known to play an important role in anxiety and stress. And where's that located? Is that in the in the in the front? It's sort of um, in the side. It's sort of in the parietal lobe, I think. Okay, and that, that's part. Is there a executive functioning involved with that lobe? In the amygdala, not so much. Okay, that's the one we want to see calm down. Okay, it seems to with meditation, but yes, yeah, some of our executive function. Our decision-making seems to be positively affected from mindfulness training. And whether or not you've seen the results of this study, I think the best place to do research is in one's own body and mind and heart. And our students find very quickly that they are able to make better choices, that they become more efficient when they're calmer, which just makes sense. Indeed. So that's always the best place to look is in one's own life, although the re- we do have 30 years of really good research to back us up on this. Well, I noticed when I did a little search of some of the, the articles, they're, they're sort of hedging their bets, the, the reviews of that research and saying, well, it doesn't, it's not definitive, folks, but it looks like there could be a correlation. So it, that's, you know, and maybe some of those that you can see easily and that were uh, completed three to five years ago. But I, th- I think by now in this year, don't we have plenty of data that corroborates the claim that it's, that this mindfulness um, stress reduction does in fact allow the executive functioning lobes to perform at, I mean, you could say perform as optimally as they can and closing down the, um, the riotous <laughs> reverb in the back lobes so that there is higher, higher functioning, more memory retained, and, uh, and less uh, sort of frantic sort of reactive um, behavior and, and fallout. 
I think we're still exploring that, you know, and I think that the data will become more and more clear as we go on. Right now, I think the some of the important things to focus on and the reason why someone might want to explore this for themselves is that the, um, you know, the recent events remind us yes. how fragile life is and how unpredictable life is. And that planning and thinking about it is one thing where we can be productive and proactive, but worrying about it and being terribly frightened is another thing, and that takes a great toll on our health and on our body. And the best place where we can function is always in the present moment. Thank Much you. of the mindfulness training is designed to help us connect more deeply and effectively with the present moment where we really can live our lives the most fully, which I think is the important thing to focus on, especially right now. So many people have heard this or they've read a good book about the power of now or being in the now and the present moment. And when they first come to class, that's just a concept to them. They don't actually know how to access that. So what we could do right now is kind of walk through our listeners how to access the present moment. Oh, that's so perfect, Beth. Please, uh, we're listening to Beth Mulligan, physician assistant at the Susan Samueli, uh, Samueli uh, Center for Integrative Medicine, and she's going to walk us through this, how we can start where we are with mindfulness stress reduction. This is a gift to us all. <laughs> well, one of the things when we talk about the mind-body connection is to notice how often the mind and the body are not connected. So wherever you are right now as you're listening, Perhaps you're, you're sitting in your chair at your desk or in your car. Um, that's where your body is right now. Your mind, however, could be anywhere. It could be 15 years ago remembering uh, a pleasant event or even an argument you had with someone, or it could be very focused on worries about the future and how things are going to be. So to bring the mind and the body together in the present moment, we use the fact that the body only exists and breathes and senses in the present moment as our gateway to the present moment. So we take our attention from wherever it's wandering off, as it often does, and we bring it, say, to the feeling of our body in our chair or in our car seat and simply feeling all the points of contact that your body is making with your chair or the seat of your car, so feeling your back and your legs. And then the next point of contact you could focus on is your feet, just simply feeling whatever your feet are touching. Now already, in order to do that, your mind is more in the present moment because we can only receive those sensory input in the present moment. We could also pay attention to what the sounds are of our present moment. So right now the sounds are the sounds of my voice. There may be other sounds like traffic rushing by if you're in your car or if you're at home. You may have some sounds of birds or maybe one of your pets breathing. And then the other place we can bring our attention is to our very own breath because we really can only breathe in the present moment. So... Right now, as you take a, a breath in, and you might want to take a slightly deeper, more intentional breath in, 
You could focus on feeling the rise and expansion of your chest and ribs, which is, of course, the lungs expanding. And then as you breathe out, noticing that natural way that they fall back towards your spine on the exhalation. And if you do that for a few breaths, you'll find yourself more focused and present in this moment where we can make good choices and good decisions and also be more aware of the simple joys of our lives. So these are some steps you can take to actually contact the the present moment. We sometimes call it the look, listen, feel, breathe technique to arriving more fully in the present moment. So your body and your senses will always lead you back to the here and the now where right in this moment we're safe and we're okay. When we get terribly lost in our thoughts, we sometimes are missing the simple joys or even just the okayness of our present moment. This is unwieldy powerful material and um, it's something I can uh, tack on and say we can do that anywhere we are. Exactly. We just only when we're evacuating. It's the only place you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but, exactly. That's but otherwise, um, it's it's very 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 powerful. And I'm thinking you can sort of we can uh, try. I don't know. Our children will resist us when we we walk them through this because I think everybody at every age is work benefits from a self-regulation sort of uh, process like this, but um, we sort of try to, um, I I just keep thinking of lost opportunities, but um, I know the uh, Tibetan uh, nuns say you just start where you are and start where all members in your circle are and try to help each other help and yourself work on this sort of what you call self-regulating kind of um, uh, procedure, I guess. Exactly. And so when we do this over the eight-week program, like such as the one that's offered at the Susan Samueli Center for Integrative Medicine that we're going to be offering our second series now, which begins April 4th, um, it's a training process of more deeply and intensively training in these meditative practices, which allow one to use that self-regulation um, so that we aren't so reactive and we don't reach for those some of those unhealthy ways we may have developed of coping with stress, which commonly people will, will report when you ask them um, that they're using food or alcohol or over-busyness or the computer or cigarettes occasionally or prescription medication to cope with their stress. And then suddenly they develop these new tools over the process of the eight-week program. This is. Um, I just wanted to make a small correction. The uh, inform oh, April fifth. April fifth yes, is the information session. Mm-hmm. Um, that's from six thirty to eight thirty. There at um, at Hewitt Hall on uh, the UCI campus. That's the, a two hour uh, information session that is free. The um, the major portion of the um, class. Uh, called known as the integrated approach. To, well, let me back up here. It's called mindfulness-based stress reduction classes, an integrated approach to health 
and well-being. The, the actual classes, that is the eight-week um, course session, start on April 12th. That's a Tuesday. goes to May 31st, again, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m., ending, um, well, not ending, and near the end, there will be a retreat on Saturday, May 21st, uh, from 9.30 to 4, 9.30 in the morning to 4 p.m., and that's at the at Hewitt Hall, and you can see that on the K, sort of University of California Irvine website when you uh, turn to the maps section of the website, and you can find out exactly where that's located. It's a it's a, a gift, and you've been, um, well, there it's a gift as far as the um, the the free session goes, and the the course. Uh, itself, the eight-week class and retreat, um, it has a fee, and there's a discount for UC Irvine faculty and staff. And uh, I guess what, what I'll do is just put up the number that can be called. The website's a little bit more involved. You can call 949-824-5763. And um, as you were saying, the course, um, uh, these evening classes will include a guided instruction in mindfulness, meditation practices, gentle stretching stretching exercises and mindful yoga, educational discussions on various aspects of stress and wellness, daily home assignments, oh, but those are good, and then home practice materials and CDs. So I guess that's what the course fees cover, those kinds of materials and uh, instructional um, um, kinds of things too. Um, so is there, a, I know these, we're, now that we're announcing this and it's being sent around on the Zotmail and other uh, means, um, I'm sure you're easily going to fill this up, so you're probably going to recommend for this course for people to uh, act sooner than later to reserve their place with this. I would, yeah, because our first class in January sold up very quickly. Um, okay. And I, I just wanted to add, please, too, that I have the, the great pleasure of co-teaching this class with Dr. Don Maurer, who's yes. um, an, a board-certified emergency physician with a long uh, experience of uh, meditation and yoga, and uh, we really enjoyed teaching the class together under the guidance of the, the director of the Susan Semwelly Center, Lori McCauley. So we have a great team there working together, and uh, we did have a great turnout for our first class. So yes, I would encourage people to enroll quickly, and if you're wondering what happens in an actual class, it's very experiential. So even though we do have some educational components and we will cover some of the research, mainly what we're doing is experiencing intensive training in these mind-focusing um, and mindfulness experiential training so that by the time someone finishes the class, they feel very well grounded in knowing how to use these practices in their daily lives. So you're leading them through how the, the, they actualize this kind of um, exercise to be able to competently do this when they're on their own after the course is over. Exactly. Well, I want for listeners to know that um, Beth Mulligan's website, mindful-way.com, uh, it has a great deal of information on this workshop, previous workshops, and upcoming workshops, should you not... Uh, succeed in uh, securing a slot in this uh, the upcoming uh, session and um, then you'll you know you'll be able to find out other other things to do um, other places to find Beth Mulligan she's based up in the the it's the in the Riverside County area correct right 
And so, but uh, making yourself available many times here at the UC Irvine community. So it's, um, now Beth, you mentioned a, a book, The Mindful Child. Again, the author's name? Susan Kaiser Greenland. Okay, I got Greenland there. Susan Kaiser Greenland, A Mindful Child. Maybe you have, as we're closing out the this show in, shortly, um, you may have had any uh, other materials to recommend to listeners for uh, preparing for this course or for... Um, picking up on the immediate messages of this program. Uh, what a great suggestion. Well, Dr. John kabat the founder of this uh, particular method of stress reduction, has a textbook version of the MBSR class called Full Catastrophe Living. Soul and Catastrophe Living. Full Catastrophe Living. And his name is, um, his last name is K-A-B-A-T hyphen Z-I-N-N, Ph.D., John kabat um, another book I think that is extremely helpful, it's a little bit shorter, is called The Mindful Way Through Depression. Ah. Um, so e- even if one doesn't suffer particularly from depression, it covers many of the basics of uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction, and it includes a CD that you can practice with at home. Wonderful. Um, and one other wonderful resource is called the um, Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Workbook, which was written by Robert Stahl and Elijah Goldstein. I'm sorry, Robert. Robert's last name is Dahl? Stahl, S-T-A-H-L. Okay. And Elijah Goldstein. And it's it's a really hands-on how to walk oneself through the stress reduction process and also comes with some recordings. So those would be some great resources for people to get started with. And that that is the last one is the text... Uh, the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, that's Work the title? Book. Workbook. The, okay, like the course, it's practically the same title. Of, yeah. Okay, well, that's, that is a, just a marvelous way <clears throat> to send us back into the world. of. And I'm, I'm real pleased that the word catastrophe was put into that um, particular title that... Um, that uh, John, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn has written, and it, it captures what that flight, flight, fight response is uh, responding to, and uh, uh, catastrophes that are seemingly unabounding. So I thank you so much for bringing so much into such a short time to all of us this morning, and um, I'm hoping that if, if listeners aren't able to get um, t- uh, a place at the table for the spring session, that they'll be successful in finding what uh, you uh, will offer in the future. So I thank you for um, doing such important work and uh, for coming on our show this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure, Claudia. Thank you. Thank you, and uh, good luck with the, the yields for this and of all, all the other courses. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. I really was glad to have her come on today. I thought, you know, as things ramped up around us, that it, the least we could do was to offer listeners something to um, to work toward getting better grounded and uh, getting more out of their day with a lot less of an undertow. So I want to thank you all for listening today. It's been a real pleasure. And I, following me as usual is Senior George Rosales up with his inestimable gyrations. I'll see you next week at this same time. Thanks for joining us.
You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.